0: No, hang on, Josie.
1: Hello. Oh, God, she's got no idea what she's doing. That's embarrassing. That is
2: Josie Long. Hello. You're with...
1: too close. You're too close to the microphone. What are you doing? Oh, this is like being bullied by m- the coolest this.
2: prefect in school. You do the
1: bong sign, the international bong sign, and you measure <gasps> your face away. Is from... that a bong sign? I thought it was like a cool surf That's thing. a That's a bong, and then if you do it, then that's like hang loose. Hang loose. But that to me is a... That's like a. I it, All I Jesus think that was was part Christ. of a fake trumpet. What has <laughs> this happened
0: to? That's a bong and that's Well, you loose. invited
1: me on your... Show,
0: sure. yeah, because we'd forgotten about what happened last time. <laughs> this,
1: is, this is, this is. I'm so sorry. Do you want to start? Start again, please. Welcome. Hello, guys.
0: This is uh, Josie and Robin's book shambles. Due to a booking error, we have <laughs> oh, the very aggressive Sarah
2: Kendall. Also, I really want to say that Sarah is dressed like Amelia Earhart am. for am. I'm this I'm so glad you event. got that
1: reference. What Thank is you. nutty about that oh. is that I dress like this after watching The Aviator the other night and watching Katie Hepburn. See, that's what I was going to say. I
0: thought you were dressed like Catherine Hepburn. I was! Yeah, not like Amelia yes. Earhart at all. Ah, uh, well, Josie! No, but, but let me Crossover. finish.
1: Let me finish. It's oh. when she's in the aeroplane and then she goes, golly gee! And she has a go <laughs> at flying the aeroplane and she's all. And the look that she's doing, she's doing that kind of uh, uh, lady aviator thing. So, well done both of you. So, between the two of you, you've got the right answer. Why?
0: While we're on uh, Kendall's costume bingo, uh, what did you make of Carol then?
1: (laughs) I haven't seen it. Silly. Uh, I still haven't seen it. It looks beautiful. I mean, it it looks incredibly beautiful. But he also did Far From Heaven, didn't he? It's the same. It's got that same beautiful. Sort it's of 50s. not
0: that similar to his Karen Carpenter story with Barbie dolls. No. He's definitely changed <laughs> techniques, really? I think, since then. So, Sarah Kendall, you're uh, an actor, do, guys? What don't I do? Are you, if we're listening in the early twentieth century, are you an actress? Comedienne And broadcasteress I'm not
1: really an actress But the other stuff I, At a pinch But actress really You've done acting Not but I can't It's well, Oh no, no I've no. done that as well <laughs> I've done
0: acting I can't
1: Yeah right That's the category of actor It's if you want someone To do a role Where they look and sound Like Sarah Kendall I'm your yeah. guy I'm the perfect actor For that role If you needed anything That looked and sounded Like Sarah Kendall
2: I'm very good for People who are like me But have it Fractionally less together
0: Like in Skins, where you played the careers advisor. (laughs) I
2: did, Did yeah. I did, really? yeah. i tell you what, it's it, well. firstly, being involved with Skins was one of the best, coolest experiences of my life. And I know so many people from it that I really love and look up to. But also, it got recently put on American Netflix. And I was in New York minding my own business. Yeah. And about seven 25-year-olds ran up to me and were like, "Um, hi, I'm so sorry to bother you, but were you on Skins? And I was like, yes, yes, I was. Thank you. Yes, three episodes. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Oh, no way. Did you get to sleep with all of them? At the same time? Yes. Because that's how so young. People do it. That is, that's true. Could you um could you give us
0: careers advice while we're doing this? This is a very weird sexual situation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should go into a architecture.
1: <laughs> I feel uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> that was what I was saying on, on the train in this morning, which was absolutely rammed, very, very busy, and there were uh three uh women on their way in to go and see Wicked tonight, Good and day. they'd already started to have a little cocktail as well, have a little drink. Now a little, that's uh, a cocktail from cans, mm. yeah. That's early and they post were, Brexit.
1: Landscape, pretty, exactly. People really packed. We hacked
0: into the train and it was sexual innuendo, sexual pun and no innuendo or pun time and just yeah. going, uh, oh, how far are you going? <laughs> I meant oh. on the train. Right, on and on. And for the first 10 minutes, <laughs> I was like, well, no, it's good. They're having fun, yeah. and then there was a bit where one of them then went, "Well, life's short, isn't it?" And I thought, "Well, it's nice of you to drag it out, make it feel longer for me." And okay. then there was a bit. My favourite bit was two young men got on, and they started Ooh. to to, to, yes. to go, "Oh, I wish I was over that side in that." Oh, right, hope you got some Viagra in that bag. You'll need it. Blah blah blah. Jesus Christ! And um, then and, and and then one of the lads went, uh, "Don't worry, we can. Uh, we'll probably uh, tag you." And uh, <laughs> and then it went quiet. Because the women went. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Oh. Does that? And mean... then it returned to sexual puns. I think what it's when it they ten... take turns. I think yeah, it's like a wrestling match. It means you have to wear a leotard. One of you has to be very fat. One of you has to be evil. And and they land then... on you. Yeah, and one of you wears so... a, a, a <laughs> Mexican wrestler mask. And
2: intercourse is they I, jump. You know, and... I never understand young people. No, and I don't. And their wrestling that. sexual techniques.
0: Were
1: these young people? though the drunk wicked ladies. No,
0: they were like probably they were older than me
1: come
0: yeah, on uh, probably <laughs> 50s I would imagine yeah, and they, and they were,
1: were hitting the piss that at that time of the day before they went to see Wicked
0: they were then going to have a little nap
2: <laughs>
0: uh, in the afternoon they said they were going to nap in the hotel and if, if we read in the newspapers that three women had ruined Wicked by shouting out during yeah. it it would be them yeah. they said proudly as if this would be their moment
1: God something happened something's happened there's been a shift hasn't there there's been a shift
0: no it's very Friday it's not normally on a, on a commuter train like that but it's, uh, but that was the thing for about ten minutes at least. I, as a grumpy individual, I was there going, no, nope, they're having a lovely time. Good for I'm them. Very, very. It's uncomfortable for everyone. They're yeah. having a lovely time and it's all jolly. And uh, no, 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 no. It's, it was. Enough. Yeah, that was enough. But that's
2: what. I'd be like if there was a water shortage. You know, the first day I'd be like, it's all right, guys, we'll get through this, it's all right. And then by the second day I'd be like, I hate to be alive! Especially and everyone would be water- like, there's that woman who's all smug yesterday. Water shortage.
0: <laughs> a water shortage with sexual puns would be yeah. the one.
1: Don't worry, it'll be gushing again soon. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no! No! Yeah, um, when I, um, uh, I went a little bit mad when I had my daughter... <laughs> And I started worrying about, I read this thing that if there was some kind of disruption to the, um, London's got enough food to go for like for six days, if all the communications and all the lines of transport were kind of cut off, there'd be enough food in, you know to go for six days. And then I kept on thinking, what would I do if there was some kind of apocalypse? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. it was I was really hormonal and I was sleep deprived and I was thinking, how would I keep my child alive? And I bought this um, urban survival guide like I bought it online it's I mean it's crazy it's it's written by a crazy guy but it was fascinating it was absolutely fascinating about the stuff that you should stockpile I mean these are like the survivalists in America who have like generators and they've got uh, guns lots of guns but it actually went through all these things that are really good to have in that kind of situation what does it say chocolates and cigarettes always tradable you can always trade with chocolates and cigarettes Still to this day he's go it's like it was part of his thing he's going, like, Yes, you need to stockpile things like you should have antibiotics and you should have painkillers and like vital kind of things like that, but also just when you're going through duty free just get cartons of cigarettes because when things when supplies go down people still want to smoke and people still want chocolate and do you stuff. know i would always be tradable with chocolates i, I was thinking think. of you when i said that out loud no not really but you know i you know you yeah chocolate of course yeah i've got five twelves in my
2: suitcase be fine.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm uh, let's talk about books with each other can i just ask though cuz we are
0: on books now and the uh, urban survival guide yeah in the last few months it's felt a bit weird Mm. in this country have either of you done what I've done which is partially joking but actually a little bit seriously started looking online at different decommissioned bunkers (laughs) that are for sale
2: Oh, okay. No, but I did the day after Brexit go, that's my mind made up. I'm moving to Glasgow, which is something I've been, I'm ignoring about over about five years. So, it has been a not that Glasgow's a bunker, <laughs> Glasgow's the most beautiful city on the planet. But, Are you really? Is that something you're going to... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, yeah, but it's tricky because I was like, well, I my heart wants to be there. I love it. I think it's the most beautiful city, but... Work-wise, family-wise, friends-wise, it's not ideal. So I'm going to try and work out some sort of long-term transitional phase.
1: Yes. But my theory, having gone nuts and read this urban survival guide, you're better off just going when everybody else dies. Like if there, I really, I think now in my heart, like I think if there was like some sort of cataclysmic event, I, I want to be wiped out with the bulk of the population. I really feel bad for the people who survive and have to do the rebuilding.
0: That's like the f- in, in the film adaptation of the road. That's exactly where yeah, sh- Charlize Theron. Isn't she just it? walks yeah, out yeah, into the spi- yeah. She,
1: yeah, she was that she did the right thing. You're better off just dying when the bulk of humanity dies. The rest of them are just deferring the inevitable. But so that is guys, a great uh, thing. <laughs> No, but that is that is
0: a great thing. Where that's what I love about that film. That's and one that of the book.
1: books on my shortlist. Oh, good.
2: Interestingly, the, uh, the, Rose, Synchronicity, the road, the
0: Jungian, Jungian again.
2: I think we've talked about the road in the podcast before. That's right. I've got ten books here because I, I know had you to talking about the same book because it's. I think there's going to establish over the course of us doing this over and over a, a list of kind of our favourite books that happen to come out and what I love about The Road is it's, it's so cabin. beautiful about love yes. and it's so it, it's not crushing and it's not mm-hmm. depressing as a book, it's wonderful I yeah. I and think it's such an achievement well it's sad but no because it's just about how relentless faith and hope are isn't it?
1: It is, yeah, you're Yeah, absolutely right I mean it was, there was nothing other than hope that kept them going in the face of everything that kept on going yeah. and everything that he did to keep his son alive. It was all, it was just, it was hope yeah. The my favorite line, and I only remembered the lines I saw v- Vigo <laughs> Mortensen interviewed and it was the line, um, the frailty of everything. Yeah. And that's what that book was for me where it made me kind of appreciate and respect the frailty of all the things that are so, lovely and special and important they are frail like you have to respect how frail they are there isn't this kind of i think maybe because I've, I've i feel like i've had a very fortunate life i think all these things are really robust and i take them for granted and i think you know it made me kind of think about it more like no they're frail and they need to be cherished and nurtured and respected it's such a i felt i found that an incredibly it was a very difficult book to read like i was very upset i, I don't know about you guys but mm. i sobbed for a lot oh, of it
2: oh god me too
0: but that's you know, that frailty i think that is one of the things that we lose very quickly which is and you can remind yourself constantly and very minor things like when you turn on a tap for hot water yeah. and you start cursing at five seconds because it's not hot right. and then you think of how many times you'd have had to go back to the fire with the pan to stick yeah. it in the timber or you know vaccination for for children It's something that I've banged on about many times, but that thing where you go, you read any biography of a nineteenth-century figure or early twentieth-century figure, or you meet people who are only in their maybe late sixties or, and but and they will tell you if they were brought up in poverty, they'll tell you about oh yeah, and that was when little Stan died, whatever. All of those things—the
1: death, infant mortality. My God, we—that's sorry. You're about to—I've spoke over you then. No,
2: no, but no, God, this is. I mean, I don't know. If this is slightly too whimsical for what we're talking about, but there's, um, I've been reading *Man Without a Country* again, right. which is Kurt Vonnegut book, and it's, I would recommend if you haven't read it. It's such a slim volume, and it's so consolatory, it, 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 conciliatory. That's the word, isn't it? Yeah. it it's, um, and even because in it, I don't think he does have much hope, yeah. really. He just has this dogged determination yes. that he knows that. He, to behave humanistically is right. Yes. And despite any failure that might happen, he knows that the better parts of humanity are the team to be on. And that's basically the the part of it. And he wrote it when he just, I think, was in utter despair about George Bush and looking back at his life. But he talks about um, how... Yeah, sorry, it's just that you've got my copy. I know, because my negation. I, I just suddenly realised because
0: I've got another copy as well. I've got a hardback copy. And this is my travel copy of Man Without a Country. And I've just seen what I've scribbled in about it. And there's something. little weird notes about chocolate melting on your skin as a sign of life. And there was something about a mm-hmm. story that I started where someone drops a little bit of chocolate on themselves and then they realize it's not melting and it's the point in which they realise that they're dead. Oh,
2: God. I was yeah. just funny
0: little notes. I scribble on my books rather uh,
2: yeah.
0: foolishly. Yeah,
2: me too. So, but, I, sorry, yeah. I was just about to say something, Robin, and I haven't had enough breakfast. And Brexit is making me sad. You had half
0: a banana with Jeff Dyer. You were living a life, lady.
2: Okay, so he says, um, he talks about his uncle and he says, his principal complaint about other other human beings was that they so, so seldom noticed it when they were happy. So when we were drinking lemonade under an apple tree in the summer, say, and talking lazily about this and that, almost buzzing like honeybees, Uncle Alex would suddenly interrupt the agreeable blather to explain, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. So I do the same now and so do my kids and grandkids and I urge you to please notice when you are happy and exclaim or murmur or think at some point if this isn't nice I don't know what is. And it's I beautiful. I think it is it is wise to try and cling on to yeah. any... And George Saunders says this I mean George Saunders is definitely a lot more apocalyptic in how he writes and, and a lot bleaker but George Saunders says you should be grateful for every split second that you're not screaming in agony. Yeah. Or <laughs> about. And like... This last couple of weeks where, uh, I mean, if you're British, I'm sure you're feeling similar, or if you're living in Britain, or if you, you know, I... I I felt so all at sea and so freaked out and all of that stuff, but it has made me really, really cherish the fact that I have so many friends. There are so many people I look up to. There are so many activists that do incredible, tireless work, and I have so many small privileges in my life that I can try and share and try and be useful with. Anyway, gone into preacher mode, that's and I'm right. sorry I snapped at you a bit. No, no,
1: that's fine. The uh, I, I remember people like, the, like get... the tension between two people who work together a lot. No, we're good friends. I love it. I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah. never forget the tension in the studio. <laughs> uh, Catherine
0: Hepburn, the early years, she gone mental well, because of them jodhpurs she'd been wearing. That's right, they're <laughs> awfully tight at <of> the waist. <laughs> the um that instant nostalgia—that's an interest. You know that bit. That's really what you're talking about. You know, I remember being on a, bent, uh, a beach in, in Devon and thinking, mm. "This is the loveliest day." Yes. And yes. I thought, I really, have to cherish this. And I was right to, because I was cherishing it so much that I forgot to put any sunscreen on my legs mm. and could barely walk for three days afterwards. But always baguette? remembered that the <laughs> agony of my legs came from the wonder of the instant nostalgia. That's so what like I'm saying is, nice. really, try to evolve into uh, uh, avoid instant nostalgia. It's yes. very dangerous and it burns.
2: But also. <laughs> Oh, no no I'm interrupting you and you're the guest and I want no. to hear what you've got hey, to say hey let's all interrupt and just all talk at once all talk at once yeah come
0: on Josie 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 Josie, Josie come oh, on you know you can let's talk about Kurt Vonnegut come I'm on. I'm on George Pastoral no
1: I'm waiting for well, oh Kurt Vonnegut is one of the only people where I after I read Slaughterhouse uh, Slaughterhouse 5 was on my list to talk about but then I thought I'd rather just talk about Vonnegut because he's like one yeah. of the only people who after I read Slaughterhouse 5 I read everything. Yes. and I feel Well, like...
2: I'm keeping some back. Yes, yeah. I love really? it so much. Which, oh, which one? a you...
1: uh, 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 Piano, I've not read. All
0: right. Mm-hmm. I've not done Bluebeard.
1: Uh, uh, I've not done Bluebeard. Oh. I'm not saying anything. I Actually, I went on a binge. It, it's the only time I've ever done this where I just went, I'm just going to read everything because he affected me so much. Mm. Like, he sort of affected... I think, like, every, unfortunately, every time I go back and read Slaughterhouse-Five, I can't quite recapture the wonder of the first time when you just yeah. go... My God, this like it's it's so rare when when something sci-fi that size, that huge an offer, and you read it, and it's just done so beautifully and poetically and humanely, and was based on his experiences. Mm like i think it, i i i can't quite replicate that same feeling when i it, it it just blew my mind the first time i read it it was the most so, exciting thing i'd ever read
2: yes i i think i feel the same because mm. it felt so in and of itself yes. and to understand his style and yes. yeah and and also just so much humanity and kindness Yes, you know even when he's writing about things that are completely hopeless yeah. like it it amazes me that he has this like utter lack of um self-delusion. Yes. But he's still like, so what? It's basically like, what else are you going to do? Huh?
1: But if you think Be about on the it, team? he was, he was part, he, he, what happened to Billy Pilgrim happened to him. He was part of the team who, after the bombing of Dresden, they got the POWs to basically pull the bodies out of the bombed buildings. Mm. So, all of that, you can see how that would affect you for the rest of your life. You yeah. can see what sort of trauma... You
2: know, I was just reading, I've just been, I was just did a show for Radio 3 where you sort of present classic sh- classics that you like. Mm. And I was remembering that I went to see Shostakovich 13th Symphony, mm. which is all about, and it's got words by um, Yevgeny Yevtushenko, mm. and it's all about the rise of fascism, but it's also about kind of dissent and what that means and about feeling lost and feeling uh, completely without power and all kinds of things like that and like there's a bit in it where he says all the women and children shot I shall never forget this Mm. And it's that intense and it's that big. Anyway, sorry. Is
0: there a new book about Primo Levi? I'm not sure. There was something I read the other day, a collection, uh, and that was talking about his change in terms of like when he first started going to Germany Mm. for his job. Mm. And if anyone would make, oh, you've got a tattoo. And he would definitely, he would would say something that was brief but ominous that would therefore transfer the guilt onto the head of that person. And then how that, Changed yes. over time and how he would—he was he's kind of handling, but but for the first few years, his uh, which is quite remarkable. Even to say if you if you can make that last only for a few years, because mm. that again, when you're talking about feeling the joy, the delight, every time you read something by Primo Levi or Viktor Frankl, we were talking about when we had Claudia Hammond on. And you just go, Oh wow, these these are human possibilities. Yes. And yet they seem utter impossibilities to us
1: and we hope that they remain so. Can I use that to springboard into another book? Yes. Yeah, F- of course. Which just sort of feels on, on topic. Yeah. Um uh I can't remember how I came to this book. It's called A Woman in Berlin. Uh and it was or, originally it was anonymous and then it came out that the woman who wrote it, it was republished they did another edition posthumously in I think two thousand and three. Her name was Marta Hiller, I think, um, and she was a journalist. Um, she was thirty-two years old, and she was in Berlin when the uh, Russian troops came in. Um, and it, you know, they talk about the rape of Berlin. She was, and this was her experience of the eight weeks of this occupation with the Soviet forces, and it is. It was published in about, I think in the 50s it was published and there was a huge amount of denial about the rape of Berlin, mainly because a lot of the men felt like they hadn't been able to defend their women folk, like they felt sort of emasculated or something by what had happened, but also the horrors of the Holocaust were coming out and people just didn't want to have to deal with this other atrocity and she was accused of being a liar. Um, she was that she the people said the whole thing didn't happen. She was called a whore, all these things. So she said, right, never put you can't put this book out again until I'm dead, basically. And then they did a, a, a second edition, maybe 15 years ago. And her account is extraordinary. She is an intelligent, worldly woman. She's lived in Russia. She can speak. She can speak a bit of Russian. And it's how she survived for eight weeks. And the acts of heroism, these women who were kind of, like, just, I mean, I know this is, re- you know, it, it's situations where basically they'd be in a bunker, they were waiting because the city was just basically being, you know, taken over street by street, and a group of men coming to a bunker and kind of going, you know, we want we want that girl, like a 15-year-old, a and then like a woman in her 40s would kind of, she would put herself forward and go, don't, don't do it to her, do it to me. Whatever you're going to do, do it to me. Like, the things that happened in this window of time that no one could talk about after it had happened and what what these women did and how they tried to help each other. It's it was it's the most extraordinary read. I, I um A woman in Berlin. A woman in I'm Berlin. I'm writing it down. Sorry. I, I can't recommend it enough. Because that's that other thing with any you know, like I, I think all of us sort of come to these things like the this sort of Anthony Beaver kind of, you know, you read Berlin! And then you just read one person's account over eight weeks of how they just stayed alive and what they had to do to not die. And uh, there was this thing that happened where uh, basically she was a smart woman. She she, She was young and she decided that she was so sick of being gang raped that she would try to find somebody higher up in the army because she called it a, a wolf. She, basically, if she was with a more powerful guy, she wouldn't get gang raped anymore. So she kind of went to the trouble of trying to find some nice clothes and try to, you know, put herself together. And she became sort of like the lover of someone who was higher up. So then she no one was allowed to rape her like anymore because she was with somebody higher up in, in the army. And... Um, it's just one of the it's it's a window into I, I cannot even begin to imagine what that could have possibly been like and it happened it did happen you know that it's and it's being swallowed up by history it's sort of I I feel like it should be the most famous book. It should be, a book but it happens in other parts of the world. But well. of course it you does. Mean, of like course, yes. And, and, so
2: uh, but even in, you know, with the Second World War happening in, simultaneously in other countries and stuff like.
0: That. You're right. That bit of making it the story of one person, like the, the the old Stalin quote about what's it to kill one person is murder, and to kill millions or whatever, with is, is, is statistics. And that's yeah, what yeah. a lot of uh, which I have probably misquoted very badly, but the intention remains with whatever I did do with it. And it's uh, that bit where once it becomes just this big story, and then all of these men went here, and then there was this group of women who did that, and then th- it just becomes, it loses its humanity. Yes, It becomes a, 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 a series of actions without a kind of any internal mind to it, any yeah. real sense of, of suffering. Well, yes. that's what I wanted to ask you about one of your, I won't give away too much about it, I don't know if they've gone out yet, your Radio 4, uh, you've recorded... One no, they
1: your, go out at Christmas. Got, yeah. Well,
0: I won't say very much about it, but I've heard uh, one of your, that we, it was actually last year's uh, Edinburgh Fringe show,
1: it uh, was that uh, day in October. Which is,
0: yeah, about right, a, yeah. A, a, a a young boy who or a boy you're at school with yes. who uh, survived something and what happens afterwards. Right. Uh, and I won't say any more because... And, and you've recorded
1: were. that for Radio 4, isn't it? <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's a and, trilogy. It's going to be... Ah,
0: oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. It's an incredible yeah. piece and I unfortunately never saw it live and I know people who saw it three or four times live and every single time they were in tears again. They thought they wouldn't be in tears but every time there was something very powerful about what it says um how has your stand-up or has it you know you were i don't know if you still even class yourself as stand-up you're you're a storyteller who's funny you're a funny storyteller but there's has your reading changed what the way that you can approach you know from being quite you know early 20s you're doing stand-up critically revered stand-up shows now you're doing these 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 stories Mm. how do you feel there are influences are you standing on the shoulders of giants of, of certain novelists writers short story
1: yeah uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, um, uh, certainly with the show that I'm writing now, I've, I've I've always said, and I've always been really afraid to do it, that I, I've always wanted to put in a, a sci-fi element, and it's only because I don't know, I don't understand the science of doing it well. Like, <laughs> you know, there's terrible sci-fi, and then there's brilliant sci-fi i i i i'm i i feel like I'm not enough of an aficionado on the topic to know how it's done well and why when it's bad it's terrible i I really don't know it well but that's enough. the same
0: with every isn't it with do you mean you're worried about the science of it that you uh i tell you
1: what i'm worried about um that it's so jarring that you lose the humanity of the situation like i i I've just bone clocks is one of the books that I brought in which for me is a really good example of when you go, that is such a huge offer with a sci-fi. In the same with, with Slaughterhouse Five, where you go, that's a big, that's a really big thing to deal with. But then to keep the emotional truth going, yeah. so you keep you know. And with all great sci-fi, you know, like movies like Aliens, you go, that's a great human story. That's a story about workers being fucked over, yeah. and a uh, you know. So keeping the the humanity of the story. Whilst keeping the sci fi like that to me, it feels like a really difficult juggling. Well, a lot of
0: the science fiction is just stories but put in a future or put in a spaceship, right? And then you've got people who actually use the idea of different uh scientific, so I I would say, yeah, that's part of it, isn't it? Which is you can experiment with it's only in the last few years that we've started to see you know, Vonnegut, who actually most of his stuff isn't even really science fiction. Mm. But he still gets... And, and that, that would but, still get people looking down. But I think that gets of...
2: full of speculative ideas that weave into the fiction. Yeah. Like, I think that is... It isn't just... A, a supplanted story on a spaceship with him, is it? It's like mm. I've thought of a few of these concepts, yeah. and I'm going to put these in because these concepts help us to think about what it means to be a human exactly. better. Exactly. And on top of that, you, do you know what I mean? Well,
0: Harlan yeah. Ellison, he never he, li- he he likes it being called imaginative fiction. Why yes, can't you yeah. You know the. That's but there's it. thinking of that Ben Moore. The books of Ben Moore. There's two oh, books of Ben wow, Moore, yeah. ba- both based on. Uh, well, they're, they're they're basically his uh, some of the the short monologues and dialogues that he's done, yeah. and Ben Moore. Who, if you don't know him, uh, listeners, look up. I'm trying to think. What was the second collection? More trees in, to climb. More trees to climb.
2: Yeah. Is which that what is it's
0: yeah you're right and it's fantastic oh, he put God, together yeah. two collections of his I think I think there's one dialogue in them most of them are, um, uh, are monologues and he deals with loads of, you know, super collider for the whole family yeah. where mm-hmm. it's it's a rip roaring uh, science fiction adventure involving a super collider it's also a love story about a family mm-hmm. it also has some of the finest puns anyone who sometimes mm-hmm. thinks a pun is a low art form when you see a <laughs> pun wielded well and you know Ben, ben Moore's coelacanth. work is so, Coelacanth
2: Coelacanth is a beautiful love story set around the world where professional tree climbing is as popular as premiership football and he what I love about him is the the subtle way that he puts you in a slightly different world through funny attention to detail so he will just refer to a show a reality tv show that he's made up or refer to a a slightly different way that people might take public transport in this world Mm. and just those funny extra little jokes but they're all invention yes I think it's wonderful
1: yeah can I we just know, check, yeah.
2: Trent? Can
0: you just look up Ben Moore and just because I, I can't remember, "More Trees to Climb" is one of the collections. I think I can't you can the buy it on,
2: vi- on vinyl, on the uh, uh, an audio version of it as oh, well. Okay.
0: Well, also you can buy all the music that he uh, did that was done for it by uh, wow. Grand Western and others, and that's very good. Amazing. So yeah, I think that's an interesting thing where you go not to, to lose the the. Well, I think the fear though is that you lose humanity in gadgets, don't you? And right. That's what... You
1: well, and you know, uh, for for me the show this year, and I, I was so um, I was really. You know, a lot, the the older I get, the more I feel like I'm writing about time passing and loss and that kind. Of, it just seems and regret, like it just seems to be this kind of um, unending mine of, you know, I, I keep being I can work with that. I, I can kind of turn that into something, um, and the idea of of sliding through time and and you know, I think my shows and in, in, certainly with a, a day in October, there was that kind of, you know, uh, I, I I tried to give it that. That kind of weightless feel that, you know, there were people, there was me in the here and now sitting on a beach having a conversation. How can with a I person. listen to it
2: now? It'll can't. Be on, it'll be you can't? You can't? Not it, yet.
1: It'll be on Radio 4 in, in yeah, it, it, at Christmas time, like in it's December. A Christmas treat for
2: you.
0: I mean, I've got a recording Christmas somewhere, treat. but I'm not going to. How I, did I, you
1: get a handle? Because, because I had to Carl. sit there
0: and try and help decide which sentences were cut out one day. Were you day. with Carl? Yeah, yeah, yeah Oh, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the other. Uh, I'm sorry, but you see, uh, as a regular Radio 4 voice, uh, Josie, I mean, I know you do a few things on it, but I've reached an age. You're still allowed to be on some of the younger people's stations. I'm not. I'm only allowed on Radio 4. You're on
1: things like Kiss. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big
0: shout
2: out to Jimmy O.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hold tight. She still does the uh, bootleg show Electric Boogaloo. I'm sure you've heard it. Um, I don't know what that is. Each of us is the the second collection of uh, Ben Moore. And I saw uh, that it's, yeah it's incredible use again, as you said, that bit of not being scared of using fantastical ideas which can never was that- as long
1: as they're illuminating like yeah. you 've got to go here 's what i 'm writing about here 's what i 'm this is the emotional intent does this device um it- does it highlight it, or is it just bells and whistles? And sometimes it's just loads of rules yeah, I've right. made up. Exactly. <laughs> is but it something so, there'll
0: yeah. be an alibi for me not being able to think of a logical end to this story? Right. And then he pressed the magic watch, <laughs> right. and it was yeah. Christmas again. We'll have to
1: go back and mention that on page five that there are magic watches. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that at the beginning of the story. But it's true, like you know, and and you know, when you get to the end of the story and you just go, "This, what, what the fuck am I writing about? What is what? What is the heart of this? What am what am I trying to say here?" and you know, I, I think as long as it doesn't swamp it, I, I've, I, I, no, oh, it's gone. Um, I love Ben Moore's shows. I, I saw, did you see the one where um, it was a day where everybody, I think they had the Three Wishes Could Come True? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What was that? That it was, was called the Three Duel, Wishes, wasn't
2: it? Three Wishes. Uh,
1: yeah. That was the one with the with uh, Janice Fair, wasn't yeah, it, as well? Yes. yes, yes. I remember that. That was well, beautiful. I, yeah, I just, a really, um, yeah,
0: oh, I, and... Ben Moore joined for a lot of people who listened to the first one that we did of these. Uh, we talked about Steve Ailit, who wrote Lint. I don't know if you've read Lint, no, and uh, has written many fascinating books. Sometimes kind of put in the cyberpunk world, but he's very and a, and, a, and a book called Heart of the Original, which is about trying to. Uh, Create something original rather than merely constantly. I think he describes it as uh, sometimes originality is the same thing in different trousers. <laughs> and uh, she's not in anywhere reflection on your excellent trousers Oh my god, we're back to wear trousers. It's the again.
2: trousers, isn't it? And, look, they're uh, blue on one side. Oh and my god, where are they from? They are amazing. Right, let's top stop shop, talking about shop. the trousers. No, and go
1: and get yourself a pair. Just treat yourself. I couldn't pull it off. Lightly. Dress like Kendall. Oh, I wish I could.
0: I'll tell you what. Let's have a Kendall dress day. Look we'll at the frames. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm happy. Just look a at go. pictures of
1: Katie Hepburn in the thirties. That's yes. all you got to do.
0: We should play golf more often, but Steve Ailett, the reason I mentioned him heart of the original, is uh because lots of people I've listened to it went out and bought various Steve Ailett books, including uh Lint, which is yeah. probably which is just an absolute delight. And so uh Steve Ailett for today is Ben Moore. Have a look, Ben Moore, ben Moore. each of us more t- t- trees to climb. He is one of those people that you just go, why don't more people know about the beauty of his imagination? Yes. Yes.
2: I wanted to ask you, you were talking about time slipping around, though. Uh, have you read Lanark? No. Uh, Lanark that is that the Alistair Grey book that took him 30 Easy, years to Easy, write. It? It's it's a bloody... It's, it's wonderful, and oh, it, right. it is epic in so many game. senses, because it's about... It's something that took him 30 years to write, and believe, it's four different um, books, and they're very distinct, but they all make up something that coheres, and it is... Uh, the way he deals with time in that book is mm. fascinating. Like, uh, years pass and it's completely without your control and suddenly yeah. you're totally disoriented. So yeah. this guy goes out, I think, to get a pint of milk and when he comes back, all his kids have grown up. Oh, my and God. He doesn't oh realise wow. yeah. uh, uh, what's happened and it gives you this horrible sense of, like, sickness and this, like, confusion when you're reading it. Like, uh, And then suddenly... And I get it. It's like a reaction to the fact that they put a motorway through Glasgow. Mm. Suddenly, everyone's stuck in cars, sat in cars, right. and it—it's it, brilliant uh, for like the timey stuff. Yes. I would recommend it so much. I need to write the, all these recommendations. And also for we've sci-fi. Put up a reading list on the site.
0: Oh great. Okay. So after this has gone up, we'll put up a reading list. Oh great. Yeah. That's very really thoughtful. Also we'll find out what like you've sci-fi been reading. And as
1: well. And well, I'll, rem- yeah, I'll be able, able to remember. Out, yeah. The the thing because um, I was thinking about you know when we talk about uh, time and how. Yeah, there's a, a couple of books where I've just gone, Wow, the way you've you, you've and I don't I don't know how great novelists do it when they go, So here's the story and now I'm gonna just take it structurally and just just, just you, you like when you like yeah. catch twenty two for me was just one of those I don't know how you structure that. I don't know how you I still haven't read it. I was talking it's, to a friend two weeks ago about this. I read the first third. I got given a paperback
2: yeah. copy by... There was a guy who ran a second-hand bookshop yeah. in Orpington and he liked me and would give me books because I was the only one who didn't want to read Daniel Steele. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he gave me Catch-22, <laughs> but it was falling apart and it literally yeah. fell apart in my hands as I was reading it. Oh, no. Yeah, so I hated it, this it the
1: first time and I didn't get past the first... There are so many characters and I get irritated when I get bombarded with characters because yeah. I'm just sick of looking up who that is. Ha! <laughs> And this, so about, I think maybe 15 years ago, I got maybe 30 pages in, did a similar thing where I le- left it somewhere and thought, oh, fuck it, that was, you know, that was pissing me off anyway. And then I gave it another go about 10 years later and I was just, again, time, you go, wow, 10 years passed and suddenly my brain went, this is great. And it, it, it's just, um, I have such a respect for when when a novelist has that control over the narrative. That they can just do this amazing puzzle with what, you know, they've got the sort of linear story so well yeah. controlled in their mind. Even a linear story is hard enough to get yeah. right. Every 25 pages,
0: I don't know if you find that every about 20, 25 pages of writing anything, you then suddenly go, hang on a minute, who's Lenny? <laughs> I mean, I found that I, 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 remember writing a film with a friend of mine, and uh, then when it when it was uh, at the Edinburgh Film Festival, mm-hmm. there was uh, we had to do a Q and A about it, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd finished it six months ago. I couldn't even remember what anyone was called. I couldn't remember the, name of the actors. Funny. I was like, so anyone would go? So when you made who's who's that? I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I caught the last three minutes of the film because I'd been doing a show and was taking notes during the credits to remember who was called what and what they
2: did in the film. That's amazing. Ridiculous. I'd never be like that with my work.
1: Hey, has... Brevity
0: is good. That's why I love uh, things like Outsider or Stroke the Stranger by Camus, yeah. whichever way you want to call it. So short, so simple. We I, mean, always I know
2: Mercer talking about this. We're fine. We're always talking about this on this. If you can't say it in that... Small, small amount of distance between fingers. She's got her fingers Don't about an inch apart. do try and
0: part. say it in that. Well, the only ones it's I'm true. doing, we've talked about this, Infinite Jest and uh, Alan Moore's Jerusalem. Mm. I'm and back Alec, on that, back on Alan Moore's Jerusalem, okay. which is the biggest book I have ever seen.
1: I've no, I've not. I'm not familiar with it. It's
0: huge. It's his kind of story of Northampton, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's partly. I mean, there's things that are true in it. There's uh, a lot of kind of magical and ideas of physics in there, and it is just enormous. And I started reading it again. uh,
1: Again? No,
0: I mean I haven't finished it. The first. Oh, I see. Because I couldn't (laughs) carry it anywhere because I do all my reading on the train, and the book is so enormous I couldn't put it in my rucksack because that would mean I couldn't carry clothes or water. Or anything else. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Anyway,
0: sorry, so you, yeah. uh, let's have another of your... Oh. Uh, let's move on to another of Sarah's books.
1: Uh, I only just read this, uh, and I always keep... Bo- I'm, I'm still on paperbacks, and it's only because I keep the bookmark that I was re- reading the book or that I was using, because it always reminds me of what I was doing when I read the book. So all my books have still... I've all got the bookmark in them. This one has got my dad... Dad's written something on a Qantas menu whilst he's... It was his copy, and I used that as my bookmark. I, I would like it
0: if all your books... They always just to remind me about where I was and what I did, and I always use the receipts for the book <laughs> that I've just bought. <laughs> well, it's not a very good story, is it?
1: Yes. This is, this is just my dad writing some stuff on a on a oh, Qantas I menu. What was, what was I think it's Vital Bank details. but look. Oh, is it? Oh, is it not it actually a Qantas menu? But then, no, can I just look at what the menu was? Oh, you want to I see just the want to menu? See what yeah, sure. And this been. is from my daughter, I love Da. Uh, no, Dear Da, I love you from Viv. She wrote that on the inside of the book to her grandfather.
0: I don't want a chicken and sweet onion relish wrap. I well, am not going with Qantas. Well, only. it only
1: cost £2,000. Uh, So this is uh, The Narrow Road to the Deep North. The Richard Flanagan... uh, It uh, it won the Man Booker Prize a couple of years back. And it's a a huge story. Um, The bulk of the story is a couple of days inside a, a, a prison camp building the Burma Railway. So there's that story, but then sort of bracketing it is a love story of one of the guys who is the, the the head surgeon inside the POW camp. So you've got 300 pages in the centre of the book, which is just... You're just plonked into... It's a horror. It's just... Um, but there is this incredible love story um, that you... Is, is built around it, and it very much uh, plays with time in a very similar way. Like the, the you know vital, you sort you sort of lose your time and place slightly with the love story. You're not quite sure at times. It's you know, it's done quite intentionally, but um, it was uh, just an extraordinary uh, read, and also it was very uh, as an Australia. Like my my grandfather's brother died uh, on the Burma Railway. And my grandfather always used to, you know, talk. He always used to say he was the best of us. You know, there was there were five kids and four of the five died. We talk about infant mortality. This was a time when one died to polio, uh, two died in World War II. You know, like, he was the only one left. And he, he always used to say Frank was the best of us. Like, he was this amazing this and really God, lovely... It's too
2: heartbreaking to hear that.
1: Yeah, I know. It, it's um, I felt really, really emotional reading that because uh, I suppose it's... If I was ever going to you know imagine what could have possibly what it might have been like i mean it's it it's it's crazy and the, and it's full of so much interesting information like apparently the the Japanese guards were all on speed, they were handing out they were giving them amphetamines to get them up and get them you know we're going to build this, we can build this, this is the emperor's will. this is something that we can do it, come on, and they were high on speed, like they you know they're going oh, I'm really tired, I need to get one of those pills that I've been given that makes me feel better again. <laughs> So you had these tripped-out guards kind of um, working the, the the prisoners into the ground to build this this nuts, uh, huge project, like impossible project. But it was this, no, he can do this. Come on, you're just not working hard enough. And uh, the conditions in the camp and what happened in the camp, and this guy was a field surgeon, the, the guy in, in the book, and he writes about how um, it was all high theatre, like he couldn't do anything for them but he would put on his he said it was like a prop in a play he'd put on his white doctor's coat and walk through and he'd check on the patients and look at their wounds that had gone septic and they're all just dying from starvation there was nothing he could do but he did this performance of a of a surgeon walking through a hospital and he said i had you know it's it's a fiction but uh, you know, he said yeah, he would prep himself like an actor, and he would go through and ask how the patients feeling and talk about what they were going to do to deal with it. Well, when that's was... like
2: Kurt Vonnegut says: to get through life, you need to make up useful fictions. Like, yeah. in order to help, you need to come up with con- with fictions that are um, consoling or yeah. <laughs> make sense of things. Like, right. But it's too much... Oh, my God. It's That, that loss,
0: that, that thing you were talking about with your grandfather and, and, and his brother, that mm. bit, I was thinking, makes me think of uh, Tony ben, whose whose brother died. Daniel, wasn't it, as far as I remember? Dare to be Daniel. And he carried that, you know, carrying that, that was the better person. Mm. I must try and be be that yes. person. Yes. And there, oddly enough, I know we mention him every single time, but Philip K. Dick, the loss of his sister, when they yes. were babies, tiny babies. But yes. nevertheless, he carries that with it. Yes. So should it, it should have been me. Why Why? Right. Why was it her? She would have been a better person. That's There's...
1: And there are all these pictures of my, because um, my grandfather, they're all country boys. And just really good-looking strapping young boys out like rabbit hunting and stuff and you know he's in a a, 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 a military a, what are they called um, a, a cemetery somewhere up in thailand uh, and just to, the thing that i think you know I, I we don't really have this happening to us but the way lives ended like that like i've got relatives who are buried somewhere in France in a, in a, well, they're not buried, obviously, there. I mean, God knows where they are. But, you know, these, these military cemeteries that these little country boys, the world happened and world events happened. And that's where they died, that they just got flung to the other side of the world by these huge events. And that's where their story ended. And, you know, reading this for me, because I I never really knew much about the, the Burma Railway and the detail that Richard Flanagan has gone into about what it was like and and the way these like small town Aussie boys but that's this you know the same it is
2: actually really current you know because the refugee crisis is absolutely happening. you have absolutely. people you know the same thing you know born somewhere and having to go end up completely on the other right side of the planet trying really hard to find way to live so it's like yeah
1: is really current and is really useful and, and fighting for their survival daily like just yeah. you know I, this idea that every day you just had to decide not to die you just had to keep trying not to die like that was just you know your body had packed it in like when you i, I, I googled image some of you know to see what they actually look like it's it defies medical explanation that they were still alive. That's what's crazy about it: is they were so emaciated and they were still building. They were still chopping rocks. They were laying down beams to, to for, for for this this railway. This crazy. It's like building the pyramids. Okay. Um, and yet there, there there was just this kind of um, as I say, this idea of waking up in the morning and just doing your best not to die. I've just got to try not to. To die today, but then it would be taken out of your hands, like a wound going septic or getting berry, berry, like stuff that people couldn't come back from. Um, But it's it's a really, it's a very, it's, there's so much, again, it's, it's about, there's so much loss in it. um, And that that seems to be a very rich seam, I, I feel, creatively. Maybe that, maybe that is something that's affected the show that I'm writing now, this idea of moments in time where you've, you've lost and, playing with time and what are you
2: writing at the moment
1: um, my new edinburgh show Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which will be the third episode of the radio trilogy Mm -hmm. so um the show last year and and the show before that they're sort of interconnected stories so um characters who appeared earlier they'll come back they'll be a younger version of themselves but you know so george peach is in this one but he's a year younger um so bringing in characters characters who have died they're alive again because it's earlier in the, the time frame. and I, I love that. I love that idea of just going, no, which it just reminded me that, that Kurt Vonnegut had that idea in Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, you're not, you're, you're not dead. You're just not well right now. Yeah. But I can see all the previous yous in every single yeah. moment that's ever passed, and they're all fine, yeah. but the you at this point is not well. The you at this point is dead, but the you of moments ago is fine. They're, they're alive. They're
0: totally fine. That, uh, just yes. thinking of the uh, the concentration camp in the Burma railway, but reminded me of something I saw the other day, which was um, Ronald Searle, oh. uh, who was, young yeah, Ronald Searle, oh, who uh, the Molesworth saga, and Trinians books oh, yeah. and all of oh, those. Okay, right. uh, how, and, to uh, and how to be top. And how to be top, whiz for atoms. He was in a uh, a, a camp, and mm. what he, he used to do secret sketches, because, of course, if you sketch, you get... And he would hide them in the diseased cholera blankets, etc., of the people in the hospital so they weren't found
1: Wow, that's funny
0: and, and they, Ronald Searle again someone who some people might only know for the famous you know the the, the real fun stuff mm. there's a fascinating history in his art you know which mm. can both be wonderful and molesworthy and St Trinian's and all of that but also his art some of the stuff that has survived from what he did in concentration camp he's, I'm not sure what the book I can't remember what the book's called but has got some of his work in but you can look that up we haven't got very much time left and uh, Josie you brought some poems in today I as did. well
2: I did what I've been doing and i hope it's not too self indulgent but it's been you know a really unusual time recently and mm. a bit trying and i yesterday I was in my house and i just looked on my I've got a few different bookshelves. I have my show political bookshelf for oh, friends. Yes. I have my um, upstairs. I have my degree-based bookshelf. for have oh, yes, yes. classic literature that i purchased. A collection but of I... Ford
0: Mondeo handbooks. Mm,
2: mm, <laughs> mm. But <downstairs>. It's a beautiful <laughs> vehicle. Shape. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> it's the geometry.
2: But downstairs I have my favourite books bookshelf. Which is sort of things that I've loved since I was about seventeen, and I've just picked up some books of poetry. There's a there's a poem by Yevgeny Yevtushenko, uh, although again, very fits in with what we're talking about because it's a man who had to endure political. Think, oh God, maybe he didn't. I'm getting confused. I think he did. He did have to endure political imprisonment, didn't he? Don't look at me.
0: This is your section. All oh, right, channel.
2: you're under a lot of pressure, lady. Of, well, everyone <laughs> listening knows that I'm not a as bright as they are so just chill the fuck out but when it comes down to it Evgeny of Toshenko is somebody who yeah he did he had to endure political you're pretty smart incarceration really. and, no I'm not and the sort you of forget, thing that forgetful
0: is not the same as right. uh, stupidity but, the,
2: so, so, but he also wrote a massive amount of love poetry beautiful Tender, love poetry, and there's a poem called Waiting that I've loved ever since I stole this book from uh, Newsteadwood School for Girls in 1998 at the age of 16. That's a
0: show I want to do, by the way. Should we just do a special show? And we'll find someone else who's done this. Books you have stolen, yeah. and this and we well, this book is called yes.
2: Every Man Will Shout, and it's like a school anthology. And I loved it so much, I stole it. I used to steal a lot of books from school. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Newstead. I'm, I'm sorry, but um. Uh, but if anything I did go to Oxford so I brought your stats up so <laughs> chill the fuck out oh, anyway wow,
0: the way you...
1: followed uh, by chill oh, the fuck out yes, really
0: idiot and I am but I did go to Oxford so chill right, the fuck well. out whoa So I anyway, the narrative that goes on in your mind so quickly but,
2: yeah this poem is called Waiting and what I like about it is I've read two different translations of it and I'm much prefer this translation of it and I don't know why and that to me is what poetry is all about it's like this gets me and I don't know why that one doesn't get me and this one feels like I know him and I love him and I am on the same page and the other one is like "Eh." (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. and, and, and like poetry in translation is a fascinating thing just to think about, yeah. you know. So anyway, this poem's called Wait, Waiting, and I can read it if you want. But yeah, why not? It's just I just love it because it's so not about politics and it's so. Well, Please read, okay. read, read, read every read.
0: week. Josie is now going to read from something she's stolen, which next week means a large box of cocoa pops. <laughs> but
2: I've also brought um, a collection of poetry by Billy jo- Childish called we'll The Do Man with the Gallows Eyes because he's got a poem called The Huddy Poem about the. Did you about to son? say Billy Joel? going to go? Here? He did a book of poetry. Uh, You've been living... Uh, in ah, 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 Okay, wait. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to do this justice, but I'm going to try my hardest, okay? Waiting. My love will come. will fling open her arms and fold me in them. We'll understand my fears, observe my changes. In from the pouring dark, from the pitch night, without stopping to bang the taxi door, she'll run upstairs through the decaying porch, burning with love and love's happiness. She'll run dripping upstairs, she won't knock, will take my head in her hands, and when she drops her overcoat on a chair, it will slide to the floor in a blue heap. And I just love it because it's... Oh, that's and also, I like that it because it reminds sexy. me of... There's a song, you know, The Man I Love, and I always mm. think, because I'm single and I'm 34 and I'm a little bit like, oh, jeez, oh, I thought I'd have a family by now. But I'll I love this idea this of, getting, like... Just, no, no, but you I love the idea something. of, like, my love will come and, like, someday the man I love will show up. And it's, like, oh, it's, like, so full of potential and you can just feel it correctly. Don't throw something in you know, there, love though, it. and you think, i found slide, it, and you go,
0: wrong coat. Chuck him out. It will don't, slide don't to the blood. floor
2: in a blue heat. That is like blissful yeah, and it's sexual, beautiful. but it's, it's very it will slide to the floor. And there's another one, the other the translation. I'm
0: seeing isn't at all. One really? of the buttons is a bit loose. The well, other, I'm very much a pessimist.
2: The other one says brimming <laughs> with love and love's happiness. I should have read both translations, and then you could have seen the different poetic bits. But, well, we'll deal with that But the podcast—we've
0: run out of time, so you can talk about uh, Billy
2: Childish
1: and the uh, Do you we deal with air? all your books
0: that you wanted I to? I think so.
1: I'll just look at my. I, I was writing. Um, um the uh, Middlesex was the only other one that I really, uh, for me, was what a, a real Eugenides. Yeah. I love. Jeffrey Eugenides, but Middlesex, you know, you, you, I, I think you're really reading a great book when uh, you see somebody on the tube... And you just feel compelled. And this happened with Middlesex. And I said, "I'm sorry, I've just read that, and it's the best, isn't it?" And this woman was like, "Isn't it amazing?" I it. And I was like, "Where are you up to?" She said, "Oh, oh well, um, it's at school, and 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 she's just met the object. So there's that. It's it's the love story." And I was like, "Oh my god, you're just in for such a treat. This is such oh. an incredible story." I had to. I it's felt the con- best. Yeah, when you just have to share it with a complete stranger, and you can see their eyes. Like just alive as they're reading quietly on the tube, and you're like, "Oh, you're you're having the first time experience with the like I, that was me, you know, a month ago." But I really, for me, that was just um, such a beautiful, um, sexy, um, sad, and. I suppose again, playing with that idea that, you know, this is somebody who's more, almost like Orlando, like morphing, you know, because she in intersex, going from a female life to a male life and and reviewing her female life who now living as a man and, you know, I, I love that idea of how that can shape your memories, that you're now well now I am not the, I'm not even that person anymore. I mean, none of us are the person we used to be, but to actually stand there and go, Well, actually no, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a man now, you know, and it's just a brilliantly beautiful just a fantastic a great read really yeah Tim
0: Winton's Dirt Music was the one that uh, that did I really like that one and and B Season by Marla Goldberg we've run out of time thank you very much uh, Josie Long for reading your poetry predominantly all the way during the podcast in her head she was too that's what we No, uh, I wasn't. That's not no, true I know at you all.
2: Weren't. Uh, We've thanks. argued quite a lot today, Robin. This is the it's most It's been spiky. It's the spikiest
1: environment I've yeah. ever had to enter as as an interview subject. Ever?
2: In your whole that's bad, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Anyway, only, it's, it's, shut up Josie Yeah see This is um, frightening to be around It's, awful, it's like it? It's like Burton and Taylor I can't bear <laughs> it I can't bear To be this level of aggro uh,
0: Tim Burton and James Taylor Yeah they we were together Very briefly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In but fact they often Linsworth. say That James <laughs> Taylor Wrote uh, this particular song About yeah. Tim Burton yeah. And uh, Plastic Man uh, right, so thanks very much. Thank you, Sarah, uh, for listening. Thanks, thanks for thank having you much. Sarah me. Kendall, thank Sarah Candle is at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with her new spoken word. Oh Peace. don't you fucking dare. Mature, it's full of jokes. Spoken word piece with some jokes,
1: with spoken word. There's there's jokes. They there's, are funny. All yeah. your
0: as I said, your work and it's a, it's a long time to wait, but I promise you it is worth the wait for uh the things that are going on uh, Radio for that. What what's it is it been given an over kind of arching title? Um Australian trilogy. Australian really? trilogy. Yeah, um,
1: I didn't I didn't mean to, but I kept on writing about like when I was 13 or 14 cool. and then we just went, "Oh, let's just that was the kind of provisional title I was going. Don't worry, I'll come up with something better." And then of course that became uh, the 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 title of it, but yeah, it's um. I mean, I, I talk about shitting and stuff. I mean, it's not all it's not all high concept stuff. You know, it's an extended bit about shitting, extended like ten minutes of material about shitting myself. That's so, good because a lot of the play.
0: waverers have I think now been persuaded <laughs> as to what their decision is <laughs> going to be in Edinburgh. Josie, <laughs> you're popping up to Edinburgh briefly as true work in am, progress. I've got a
2: new show called Something Better, uh, right. which is a good title. Um, and I've got a show called Investigations that I'm doing, which is my friend who's an investigative journalist and we're going to break some of his stories on stage. Wow. I'm going to be improvising in a show called It's Your Trial every other night. I'm also premiering a show with my friend Johnny Donohoe of Journey the Baptist, where we market it exclusively to people who disagree with us politically in the hope that, that we can have some good natured debate with fact checkers on stage. Uh, because we wanted to idea. counteract the idea that we just preached to the choir. And in other news I'm writing and making a dystopian film that is too close to reality all of a We're sudden. <laughs>
0: We've talked about all this. So uh my show Pragmatic Insanity uh isn't written yet. Uh, Perfect. I've got, got a title. Probably going to be doing it Are we in all there three for the years month? Time. Are we all no, two weeks? I'm not going. I'm not going. You're doing
1: anymore. four shows a day for two weeks. Yeah, That's easy. Like, I've done yeah, that. It's
0: cinch. It's a competition. Mate. Yeah, but it's easy. The, doing it, It's much easier than sitting around mm. waiting for reviews. I'm not going to be that. doing any of that. Work in, all, progress, work in
2: progress, mate. Progress. Try and review it, mate. It's so a work in progress. Don't give a shit. I love that. Bye. Mm.
0: Don't forget you can check cosmicgenome.com slash shambles for more information of other episodes, reading lists and of course Patreon donation links as well. Thank you very much for everyone who has donated and made this podcast possible. And they have included Ian Nichols, Christopher Dudman, Guy Midgley, Laura Hannan, Julia Foster, Tom Saunders, Stephen Curry, Chris Allen, Alex Marsh, Michael Craig, Bruce Harmsworth and Maxine Davis. Thank you.